Welcome to the Pharma Podcast, conversations with industry experts and business leaders about important and current topics in Canadian pharma, biotech, and medtech. I'm your host, Sam Tarantino. This is a special edition of the Pharma Podcast, recorded from my home office. I, like so many, am doing my part to maintain physical distance. Today, I am speaking with Daniel Chiasson, President and CEO of the Canadian Association for Pharmacy Distribution Management, CAPDM. Dan is an expert in supply chain management and a leader within the healthcare sector. CAPDM is the authoritative voice representing Canada's pharmacy supply chain. In this episode, Dan will provide insights on Canada's drug supply chain and how CAPDM and its members are facing the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Oh, thank you, Sam, for having me. It's a real pleasure being with you. Dan, the last few weeks have been unprecedented. Um, If your last few weeks have been anything like mine, I'm sure you have been uh, busier than ever. Um, I've been fielding a lot of questions about Canada's drug supply in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm sure you've been inundated with with similar questions. Um, There have recently been some articles published in the news about this specific topic, and some have raised the concern of patients stockpiling drugs. Um, For our audience, is there there a message you want to relay about Canada's drug supply chain during the COVID-19 outbreak? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, let me take the opportunity, Sam, to uh, recognize the work that uh, frontline healthcare workers are doing uh, in terms of helping us as a population during these uh, very extraordinary times. And when I think about healthcare frontline workers, uh, not only those in the acute care settings, but also those in the community, uh, so namely pharmacists uh, and uh, you know emergency uh, workers, uh, and they're really doing an outstanding job and uh, they're really heroes. But beyond those that are actually frontline, there's a, a community of people in the background that ensure that products are flowing to to the front lines and, and uh, using a bit of a war analogy where uh, you know the supplies have to come to those that are fighting the good fight. And, and so I'm also uh, wishing to recognize uh, an appreciation towards the uh, the distributors uh, and the manufacturers of healthcare products, whether they be medical supplies or pharmaceutical uh, supplies, uh, towards our uh, our frontline workers and for the benefit of of patients overall. Uh, but back to your original question around, you know, is there one message? I, I would say that. You know, the supply chain is working well. Uh, from a supply perspective, there hasn't been any disruptions in the short term. What we have seen, nevertheless, is some severe spiking of demand. Uh, and whether it's for stockpiling reasons or hoarding or, or fear of, of the unknown, uh, I'd like to reassure uh, the audience that uh, there isn't a, any disruptions on the supply side in the short to medium term. And I would actually encourage all the stakeholders to adhere to what I would call responsible ordering. So don't order any more than what you need. And this will allow for others uh, to access their requirements from a supply chain perspective as well. You you recently announced two critical work streams to monitor activity and, um, and to develop a response. Um, can you elaborate on what they are? 
Yeah, the first the first one is uh, again COVID nineteen specific is to ensure as a community as pharmaceutical distributors uh, to ensure that when we're doing our utmost to protect the health and safety of the workers that are actually ensuring the flow of medication during these troubling times. So the the folks that are in the distribution chain, the folks that are in the warehouses, the folks that are delivering products, making sure that you know, we, uh, we do our utmost to protect their health and their safety. And we've updated all kinds of health and safety protocols, business continuity protocols, with the primary purpose of not only ensuring the safety of the employees and their families and those that are around them, but also to ensure the stability of the supply chain for the benefit of all Canadians. So that's the first one. The second one is more around the commercial realities of what we're living through right now and ensuring that distributors have as much information as possible coming from the manufacturing community and conversely that we can communicate the realities of what's happening in the supply chain with our customer groups being pharmacies, both in the community setting and in the hospital settings. In, um, in most provinces in Canada, pharmacies are limiting prescriptions to 30-day supply. Um, is that the right move? We believe so. Uh, we've actually uh, advocated in support of the uh, pharmacist associations and the colleges of pharmacy for uh, a a form of demand management in, in light of the heavy spikes in demand that occurred early in the uh, in the pandemic crisis and, and so you know, we we do believe that the supply chain from a supply perspective is is functioning well what we have seen nevertheless is because of these demand spikes, we've seen very early onset of shortages that had nothing to do with the supply chain itself, but more from a, an artificial lift in the demand. Now we recognize that there are, as a result of COVID-19, uh, increased treatments or the requirement to increase the treatments for certain applications. But in many cases, what we're seeing is spike in demand across everything. And so uh, what we're again uh, favoring is that there be you know, a, a pause in terms of not having any panic in the marketplace. There's no need for it. The supply chain is sturdy. And at the same time, you know, asking for the support of government uh, to uh, to put the directives forward on the 30-day supply in order to allow you know, everybody to get access to their medication in a timely fashion. Do manufacturers yeah. or, um, or wholesalers also have a role to play? Well, they do. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, no, our role is really to ensure that uh, you know, we're safeguarding the stability of the supply chain by ensuring that the production facilities are operating, that the distribution facilities are also operating, and that the products are flowing smoothly. And I'm happy to report uh, to date, in spite of the, uh, the disruption uh, that, hap that is happening across the marketplace, that uh, manufacturers and distributors are, are getting product to the pharmacies uh, to the extent that they're available uh, in, in light of some of the early onset of shortages that I mentioned caused by spikes in demand. 
Should there be demand filters imposed by manufacturers or, or wholesalers to help mitigate risks of, of stockpiling and creating the have and have not uh, groups? Yes, and we're, we're already seeing that uh, in play. Manufacturers have now recognized the, uh, the elevated demand curve um, and uh, they've recognized that uh, there isn't uh, sufficient supply to left, left unabated, if this demand curve uh, wasn't smoothed out, that there would not be sufficient supply. And when I say sufficient supply, it's not only a Canadian reality, it really is a reality around the world. And so manufacturers are, are looking at their, uh, their supply chain in terms of what inventory positions they have currently, what production capacity is available to them, and uh, they've, they've now imposed, in many cases, allocations. And allocations are essentially a, a way of, of managing the demand to match the supply and to make sure that there's a fair and equitable distribution of the limited supply availability to, to the right uh, stakeholders. And from a distributor perspective, uh, even in cases where there isn't a manufacturer allocation, um, wholesalers and distributors may be imposing some demand filters because they have seen evidence of certain clients coming around and wiping the wholesaler shelves empty. And that creates an imbalance and an inequity uh, in the marketplace where you know, the first one to show up with this order uh, you know, may be you know, getting their unfair share of what supply is available at the expense of somebody else. And so we have seen, as you've mentioned, uh, you know, both allocations from the manufacturers and demand filters imposed by distributors. Should there be a requirement to share information uh, from industry and uh, to public health agencies to optimize the use of drug supply? Well, that requirement is absolutely necessary. I'm happy to report that uh, you know the the industry stakeholders and government stakeholders are in close and frequent collaboration to assess the uh, the um, situation with respect to supply uh, on uh, on a global and local basis. Um, there hasn't been a supply situation that has warranted public health agencies to step in and what, what I would call take control of the supply. So they're, they're still able to, to work with the manufacturers and the distributors to, to in, get informed in terms of where inventory positions are and who is in need of inventory without having to essentially take control and say, you know, regardless of what the manufacturers say or what the distributors are saying, we as a public health agency are going to be imposing our own supply chain. That has not taken place. Uh, so and the supply chain is working as anticipated uh, at this point in time, but just know that uh, the communication between stakeholders is, uh, is frequent and, and very regular. Did we... Um did we act soon enough or did allocation and supply management start too late? Well, you know, I, um, it depends on your perspective on this one, I believe. Uh, from my point of view, uh, you know, there was no way that we were expecting the spikes in demand that took place on products that we felt were not necessarily going to be 
uh, an impact of, of COVID-19. So there are certain categories of products, inhalers uh, as an example, that we knew because of COVID-19 being a respiratory uh, issue, that there would be some spikes in demand. What we didn't anticipate is spike in demand throughout all categories of, of drugs and, uh, and, and medical supplies. Uh, generally speaking, and, uh, and and that holds true for not only prescription drugs, but for over-the-counter medication as well. So, so that caught the industry stakeholders off guard, and I don't know that we could have anticipated that. Now, when I come back in terms of anticipating what COVID-19 would have had uh, on certain categories of products, like uh, inhalers, uh, what what caught us off guard somewhat is that uh, certain categories of customers changed their clinical protocols. And so that caught us off guard uh, where typically inhalers were being used in community pharmacy settings uh, for population at large, whereas hospitals were using more nebulizers. But as a result of the short, uh, short being short of staff, the, uh, the sanitization requirements around nebulizers, there's a change, a uh, very rapid change from hospitals to a diff different clinical protocol to be using inhalers that were otherwise used in a community setting. So that, that was a double impact uh, in terms of inhaler uh, shortages and uh, that we didn't anticipate either. So I, I think the industry is reacting quite rapidly uh, to the fluid situation. Um, in some cases, we were anticipating certain spikes in demand, but we were nevertheless called off guard by, uh, by a large proportion of, of products that uh, no, we didn't feel needed uh, to, uh, to, be, uh, to be spiked uh, the way that they, uh, they did spike. Mm -hmm. Patients are advised to make sure they, they have enough medications while pharmacies are saying 30 days is the max that, that they will fill. Um, are there mixed public messages? I think there has been mixed, uh, mixed public messages and, and I, I don't think anybody was doing this with ill intent. Um, much like, uh, you know, consumers were flocking to uh, grocery stores to stock up on uh, toilet paper. <laughs> um, now, I think uh, public health agencies uh, wanted to ensure that the consumers and patients were um, were well looked after in terms of their, their, their medication uh, in case of a supply disruption. And uh, that sort of worked against us uh, because you know, it sort of sent the fear uh, of, of supply issues uh, on the drug side uh, that we were seeing on the consumer product side. And, and so we, we did see an awful lot of patients showing up at pharmacy uh, looking for early refills for not only filling their prescription to their 90-day script, but Know, adding more to it and they would be willing to pay out of pocket for it and, and because of that sort of panicked situation uh, we felt that uh, you know, putting forward and advocating alongside with pharmacy stakeholders the 30-day maximum was the appropriate thing to do in order to safeguard the uh, the supply for all patients uh, and so that you would not create uh, a series of have have and have not populations out there. Yeah, are you are you collaborating with Health Canada and and the provincial ministries of health to move products to um, where they are required? 
Yeah, so the uh, as I mentioned previously, Sam, uh, there's been no directives uh, by the provinces or by Health Canada in terms of where to direct uh, products. Uh, the uh, the community uh, of all healthcare stakeholders, uh, provinces, Health Canada, and the supply chain actors uh, are, are very well aware that uh, there's categories of products such as inhalers, such as antivirals uh, like chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, uh, that surfaced uh, you know, as a result of being potentially a, a source of treatment by the way, yet unproven. And so that's creating its own issues in the marketplace. But nevertheless, you know, inhalers, uh, antivirals, and personal protective equipment are categories that the supply chain actors and the governments are closely watching. And in some cases are starting to think about ways of containing and conserving products uh, that are in very short supply to ensure that they find their way to the most needy uh, populations and uh, in the most needy geographic uh, areas. But those have not been uh, directives that the government entities, either provincially or federally, have provided at this point because there's still a sense that uh, you know, things are, are pretty much landing on where they need to be from an inventory position. And so, but nevertheless, there, there's there's some caution signs around those categories of products that we're monitoring very closely. Dan, if we yeah. look outside of Canada, um, China and India are two major exporters of both bulk API, active pharmaceutical ingredients, and finished drug. Um, China has closed most of its manufacturing facilities, so it appears, and airports, uh, as well as it tries to respond to this crisis. Um, there are reports that some manufacturing capacity is coming back online. But India recently announced a ban on the export of some critical drugs as it tries to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, there are now real fears that this may lead to a, a global shortage. Um, is your organization working with industry and, and government to monitor global activities? And, and do you anticipate risks in the, in the medium and long term? Yeah, we're spending quite a bit of time, Sam, on, uh, on what I would call the more medium to long term impact of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic crisis. Um, it, it is true that China did see some disruption. Uh, happy to report that uh, they're coming back uh, online with uh, pretty much Full production capacity and uh, and product flowing out of uh, out of China. So in the um, in the medium to long term, uh, while there has been some disruption, uh, the supply chain typically has uh, you know a fair amount of inventory uh, to uh, to sort of you know <clears throat> smooth out the, uh, the these uh, these bumps on the road. Uh, as we uh, as we see it, but this is much more than a bump in the road, obviously. And um, so, th with the four or five month supply that are in the, in the supply chain right now, you know, some some slight interruptions in the production capacity is not too worrisome. And so, we're happy to see China back. Um, India uh, is one that we're monitoring uh, very closely. Uh, as you've mentioned, they've closed their borders. Uh, the production facilities uh, are deemed, the drug uh, facilities are deemed to be part of essential services. 
Uh, we're getting echoes from uh, manufacturers that we're uh, in touch with regularly and also uh, through our government contacts that uh, although those production facilities in India are still open, uh, they may not be operating at full capacity because they're not able to get the workers to, uh, to come to work. And whether those are transportation issues locally or, or because of uh, you know, other considerations where people are staying at home because of the lockdown. Uh, so that's something that we're monitoring very closely uh, and, and just getting a sense of how much disruption this could cause but it's not going to be a short-term impact uh, to our supply chain. It's going to be much more of a medium to longer-term impact where you know, it could be that six months down the road, if we're still dealing with, with COVID-19, uh, that there may be some ex accentuation of, su of supply shortages coming out of, of India. Apart from uh, COVID-19, are there other uh, potential disruptive forces? Yeah, the... Um, <laughs> And this, these are issues that, uh, you know, drug shortages uh, is not a new phenomenon. Uh, it is exacerbated by the fact that uh, we're dealing with a pandemic crisis now. But uh, prior to COVID-19, uh, supply chain actors, uh, such as distributors and manufacturers, have been increasingly concerned about the impacts that uh, certain market forces may have had may have or market or regulatory forces would have on supply chains so um some of some of the uh folks listening in on, on the podcast today may be familiar with the u.s efforts to import canadian drugs as a result of price points in canada uh typically on brand products uh being lower than in the u.s and uh, we uh as Captain and our distributor members have been uh, opposed to any regulatory efforts, policy efforts, uh, or efforts of any kind uh, from a foreign uh, entity to uh, access Canadian drugs. Now, it's not the right philosophical approach. Uh, in our view, we already have sufficient drug shortages in Canada, uh, opening up the market uh, to to the U.S. Uh, population would just exacerbate what we feel are unacceptable drug shortages already uh, in the, in the marketplace. The the other regulatory uh, <clears throat> dimension is uh, we we're going through a um, a review of regulatory reforms uh, proposed by the uh, PMPRB. So Patent and Medicines Pricing Review Board, where uh, for the right reasons, uh, they're looking at uh, aligning Canada with pricing uh, from other jurisdictions around the world. Um, the unintended consequence of doing that is supply chain uh, in Canada is reimbursed and funded as a percentage of the drug price. And so both pharmacy stakeholders and distributors uh, get uh, reimbursed uh, as a percentage of the drug price. And as the drug price comes down, uh, what we see is the funding model actually erodes as well. We saw this example in 2018 uh, as a result of uh, an agreement be between provinces and the generic manufacturers, which had a significant impact to uh, the supply chain actors and specifically distributors uh, had to realign their uh, cost curve to reflect the new revenue reality of the uh, funding model being eroded. 
So what we've seen in 2018 with the generic price decrease, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, is a reduction in service levels in terms of frequency of delivery uh, and, and also the uh, the inventory positions that uh, that people have. And so in cases like today, uh, it's beneficial to have large inventory positions uh, in order to to smooth out the impact of drug shortages. But the reality is with the eroding funding model, Sam, uh, it, it's becoming less and less sustainable for, for supply chain actors to invest in inventory positions because they just don't have the funding model anymore. And so much like we actually uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> had these negative impacts happen to us in 2018 uh, because of generic price uh, decreases, we're anticipating with the PMPRB reforms that there's going to be price erosion on the brand products. Uh, regulations are set to come into effect on July 1st of 2020 in a few short, short months. <laughs> and that's going to have another detrimental impact on the funding model and is probably going to uh, require a, another review by distributors of their cost model and their service model to yet again realign on a lower funding uh, funding model. Dan, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your time and, and leadership uh, during this uh, difficult time. Um, how can the audience connect with you and, and stay informed on CapDM developments? Well, I would encourage people to reach out uh, and they can do so through my LinkedIn account uh, and or my email is daniel at capdm.ca. And, and people can also uh, follow our activities, including COVID-19 actions on the CAPDM website, which is www.capdm.ca. Uh, contact details for Dan are also available on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. Thank you for listening to the special edition of the Pharma Podcast. Uh, this podcast, along with a transcript of the show, can be found on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. Thank you to our sound engineer, Errol Francis, and the town of Oakville. Please subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on future podcasts. If you would like to be a guest on this podcast, or if there is a topic we should cover in future episodes, please connect with me via LinkedIn.